So it's just Monday here, but in Russia, it's Victory Day, a day that they celebrate the World War II victory over the Nazis. Many suspected that Vladimir Putin would use this to make some kind of huge declaration about the Ukraine war, to, to even call it a war or to call it some kind of victory or something. But he was more measured in what he said. And many people see that as portending as a longer, more dug in battle, even as we hear reports of attitude issues amongst the Russian soldiers. Jason Castillo joins us. He's an associate professor and co-director of the Al Britton Center for Grand Strategy out at Texas A&M. He also worked in the Department of Defense's Strategy and Plans Office. Jason, we appreciate your coming on with us. What did you expect versus what was delivered by Putin today, and what, if anything, can we learn from it? Well, my expectation was um, that he would be very low-key. There wasn't much to celebrate um, and so the performance I think he gave today was uh, typically what I expected. There were others, though, that thought that he would make a formal declaration of war, that he might declare victory in, uh, in some places, although that would be against reality. Uh, and then there were some people who thought he might declare some form of escalation. In particular, they were worried that he might call for a general mobilization. Uh, right. That would mean you, basically sort of uh, the average Russian citizens would have to start getting involved in fighting the war. That's exactly right. The units that are being used in the last 75 days of this uh, ground war in Ukraine have largely been contract units, these battalion tactical groups, which 80 percent of them have been used in the conflict so far. Uh, they're getting tired. They need, they need to be refitted. And so the concern was that Putin would declare a mass mobilization and begin to use conscripts. Of course, he's under great domestic pressure not to do that, because then that would mean the Russian population would have more skin in the game. How close is he to having to do that anyhow, if this war continues the way it's going? Well, I think that originally his original war aim was a quick, decisive victory to change the regime, and the Ukrainian will to fight disabused him of that. Uh, now I think he's settling in for a long war of attrition in the East. That kind of reminds me of this early 70s war of attrition between Israel and Egypt or the Korean War stalemate. Uh, if he's just going to grind away in the East and his objectives are more limited, uh, then he can afford to pause and not call, call for a general mobilization. Instead, uh, what he might do is try to refit, re-equip, uh, reorganize his forces uh, for slow grinding attrition battles in the east. That would be my. What is what's the what's the end game of a slow grinding attrition battle that you ultimately take over five years after you planned on it? Uh, I think that Russian war aims have changed uh, in the same way that American war aims have changed and Ukrainian war aims have changed. Uh, I think the Russians now want to make sure that Ukraine is neutral, that it stays out of the Western orbit, in particular that it does not become a mem member of NATO. And so what it's trying to achieve on the battlefield are small territorial gains, but the overall objective is to compel or coerce Ukraine into giving up NATO membership. So it's less about conquering large swaths of Ukraine, although I do think he's trying to detach Eastern Ukraine. 
but it's really about making sure that Ukraine stays out of NATO. Well, wasn't Ukraine, mm. if I'm remembering correctly, pretty willing to do this at the beginning? Like, if okay, if you'll just go back to being your side of the line in Russia, we'll say that we're not going to join NATO. They were, uh, and the Russians miscalculated and should have uh, grabbed that quickly. But now that the Ukrainians are doing better on the battlefield, in no small part to the training and weapons that the U.S. and some of our NATO allies are giving them, there's little incentive now for Ukraine to make any kind of compromise. And because the Russians see this as their Cuban Missile Crisis, this is high, very high stakes for them. Uh, they're going to keep grinding away until they get what they want. Is there any um, way you can tell if Putin's getting the inside pressure from in his company? Was it something from his country, excuse me, is there anything that we can see if he does in the future that you'll know that he's getting pressure from in there? There's been some reporting that uh, intelligence officers were uh, put under house arrest or, or um, arrested and put in jail. I would look for signs like that. I would look for... Um, uh, signs of, of general officers criticizing Putin in the open press. But I think uh, he has that regime pretty much coup-proofed. Uh, I think he learned in 2014 after the invasion of Crimea and we put sanctions that uh, we love to put sanctions on countries and that might cause domestic unrest. And as a result, he's been pretty good at paying off or buying allies domestically. Uh, especially in the military and other oligarchs. So I think he's pretty well insulated. I hope I'm wrong. but How, how insulated but, is he from all of these sanctions that, it's so funny, you never hear them mentioned anymore, but they, they were our big weapon at the beginning. We're right, sanctioning right, them. We're going to yeah. sanction You don't even yeah. hear the word anymore. And many have observed that as long as China keeps uh, being a willing customer, he really doesn't have to worry that much. What effect, if any, are these sanctions having or will they have? At best, I think they're going to have a long-term effect uh, if the Europeans can stop buying Russian natural gas and oil. But again, as you point out, he's got Chinese and Indian customers. Uh, I, I am very pessimistic about the effects of sanctions. If you look at the literature and the social sciences, sanctions usually work when you sanction your friends, but not when you sanction your enemies. They tend mm. to dig in, and it tends to make them fight even harder. So... Uh, I think this conflict will be determined by what happens on the battlefield. And in a long war of attrition uh, that I think is coming, uh, I still think uh, Russia has some advantages. Can Ukraine win this war? Well, you know, this is, this is the, uh, we've seen the U.S. change its war aims along with Ukraine. They've gone from preventing a Russian victory to declaring the desire for victory. And I don't, even, I don't really understand what victory means. If victory means that the Russians withdraw uh, from eastern Ukraine, I think that's probably too hard for the Ukrainians. If it means that Russia doesn't take any more territory, and that's probably a potential victory for the Ukrainians. But this is, this is going to be a painful war for the Ukrainians as, as well as it is for the Russians. So yeah. at some point, we need to start looking for off-ramps. We need to probably tone down our rhetoric. Uh, I don't think it was smart for the Biden administration to talk about weakening Russia's military and economy. Yeah. Don't say yeah. those things out loud. Yeah. But look for an off-ramp. Yeah. Fighting, when nuclear-armed powers are fighting for high-stakes conflicts, uh, makes me nervous. I don't sleep well at night. Look for an offer. I, I totally agree with you, and I think the Biden administration has done way too much talking 
Yes, they should I just agree. shut up, and, and if it's working, don't say anything about it. You know, just just let it work. But exactly that's, not right. the, that's not the modern world. Jason, uh, thanks for coming on with us. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's 760 WJR.